0: If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Exodus chapter 11. And in a moment, we're going to begin in verse 1. Exodus chapter 11 as we can continue our study of the life of Moses. There's a man that few people know. His name was Duncan Campbell, born in the 19th century. He's a man that God used greatly to bring many in Scotland to faith in Jesus Christ. And at the peak of this great movement of God, Duncan Campbell made a statement about the work that God was doing. And it is amazing how even after so many years, his words are still so relevant today. Listen to what he said. There is a growing conviction everywhere And especially among thoughtful people that unless revival comes other forces will take the field that will sink us still deeper into the mire of humanism and materialism in other words we're sinking and unless God moves we will sink even deeper he might as well have been talking about the United States in 2021. We desperately need a movement of God in this land. We desperately need a movement of God in which masses of people come to faith in Christ. We desperately need a movement of God in which his church is revived, in which We are increasingly aware of sin, increasingly unsatisfied with what this world has to offer. And I don't know about you, but I'm praying for a movement of God in our nation, in our lives and in our church, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if one day years from now we could look back and see that all of that stuff that happened starting in 2020 was just one big prelude to the next great movement of God in our land. Well the last five weeks I've been talking to you about this theme, when God is getting your attention. And I certainly do believe that God has been trying to get our attention lately. This morning, I want to talk to you about the subject when God is about to move. In our scripture this morning, God is about to move in the life of Israel. Think about it. For over four centuries, the Israelites had lived in Egypt. Most of that time, they spent in slavery. But when we come to Exodus chapter 11, that is about to change. Literally within hours. The Passover will take place literally within hours. The Hebrews will be set free. God is about to deliver them. He's about to carry them. Out of the land of bondage, and God is about to move in these verses. And so as we look at this short passage, it's just 10 verses in chapter 11. there are several things I want you to notice about when God moves, when God gets ready to move, there are certain things that we will expect to see taking place. First of all, when God moves, we will see that He shows favor to his people. When God moves. He shows favor to his people. So far we've looked at the first nine plagues, each one worse than the one before, each one proving that the gods of Egypt were false and that Jehovah alone is God. And all of this leads to that final plague, which we will look at next Sunday. But notice in verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt, afterward he will let you go from here when he lets you go he will surely drive you out of here all together now you need to understand that exodus 11 is the conclusion to this last conversation that Moses has with pharaoh a conversation that started back in chapter 10 now we saw last week pharaoh just gave Moses his final answer he said nope i'm not going to let them go and by the way if i see your face again you are a dead man and all of a sudden moses remembers something he remembered what god had told him that pharaoh would not initially let them go but when god was finished with pharaoh not only would he let them go he would Make them go That Pharaoh would actually drive them out Look at verse 2 Speak now in the hearing of the people And let every man ask from his neighbor And every woman from her neighbor Articles of silver and articles of gold God is reminding Moses of what he told him Back in chapter 3 at that burning bush And you remember God said to Moses When you leave Egypt, you're not going to leave empty-handed. God said... I'm going to send you away with the silver and the gold and the clothing. And God said, in fact, you're going to be so rich, you're going to give some of that to your children. You're going to plunder the Egyptians. Now I want you to think for just a moment about how absolutely absurd that must have sounded to Moses when he heard it for the first time and how crazy that must have sounded when he shared that bit of information with others. The Hebrews were slaves. They did not have an army. How in the world were they going to defeat what was the most powerful nation on earth at that time? How in the world were they going to defeat them even more so without firing a single arrow? How are they going to defeat them without even lifting a sword? And now let's take it a step beyond that. How are they going to do that and leave Egypt with all of the wealth of the land in their possession. Can you understand what a crazy thing this must have sounded like to the people at the time? Well, how's God going to do it? Look at verse 3. And the Lord gave the people favor. Say that word with me. Favor and the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people The Bible says that God gave them favor. It means they didn't earn it, they didn't deserve it, God simply gave it to them. And it's amazing when you think about it, because for four centuries the Egyptians looked down on the Israelites, for four centuries they abused the Israelites, but now God's getting ready to move and he does something so that suddenly the Hebrews have favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, and not only that, but especially Moses, who is called a great man in the eyes of the Egyptians. When we first saw Moses, he was afraid. He was afraid to leave Midian. He was afraid to speak. He was afraid the people would not believe him. He was afraid of the people who wanted to kill him, but now he's very great in the land of Egypt, and even in the eyes of Pharaoh's servants. Now when the Bible talks about this concept of us having favor in the eyes of men, of us having favor in the eyes of this world, you need to understand there are two kinds of favor. There's one kind of favor that we are not talking about here. It is when we try to win the world's approval by doing what the world would want us to do or saying what the world would want us to say or professing what the world would want us to do profess. By the way, that in itself is a fool's errand. It never succeeds. No, we are talking about a different kind of favor. This favor is a strange respect for the people of God because the world can see that we belong to God. This favor is a kind of approval In which the world may not like our message but the world likewise cannot deny God's presence amongst us because there's something that is different about us the Bible says something very similar about the early church in the book of Acts how the people were afraid to join them Though they highly esteemed them, they, they esteemed them highly, they had favor, and yet at the same time, there was a, a kind of fear to even be around them. Well, when the 10th plague came and the firstborn amongst the Egyptians died, the people were so convinced that Yahweh was real, they were so convinced that Israel was indeed the people of God. You know what they did? They said, Silver? You want silver? Here, take it all. Gold? You want our gold? Have it. It's all yours. Clothes? You need clothes for the journey? Here, let us give you that as well. And God worked in such a way through all of these plagues leading up to this 10th plague that the people of Egypt were willing to just hand over their wealth. Now you realize... God planned all this out in advance, right? God knew what he was doing. God did it this way because he knew that the Israelites were going to need provisions for the long journey ahead of them as they were leaving Egypt. This means that God thought about Israel's needs before they even came about. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 about prayer when he said, your father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask him. And that is a beautiful, wonderful truth. But you know, the Bible also teaches that God not only knows what your needs are before you ask him, God knows what your needs are before those needs even exist. God knows what you are going to need, and when a need, a legitimate need, comes into your life, you can know that God was already at work before it even came about to meet that need. Therefore, God has a solution. Now, that's encouraging. But I want you to notice what God does here. He did not just liberate his people. He enriched them he did not just liberate them from slavery to freedom they not only went from being vanquished to being victors they went from poverty to riches and let me remind you while i'm here that what happened to israel at the exodus we see again and again in scripture is a picture of what happens to the redeemed, the man or woman who comes to Christ and is saved, they not only go from slavery to sin and the devil, God not only liberates them, God enriches them. Now, as soon as I say that, I have to pause and say, be careful, I'm not talking here about this thing called the prosperity gospel. And I'm certainly not saying if you are right with God, just like Israel, you'll have all the silver and the gold that you could ever imagine. No, I'm actually talking about something better. I'm talking about something infinitely greater. When Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 1-3 that the believer has received every spiritual blessing in Christ And when he said in ephesians 3 8 that we have the unsearchable riches of christ these are not riches that are here today and gone tomorrow these are riches that endure riches that last what does he give us well he gives us forgiveness he gives us salvation he gives us eternal life oh but that's just the beginning He gives us the Holy Spirit, and we have access to God, and he gives us a spiritual family, and we have peace, we have love, we have hope, we have joy, we have victory over sin and over the grave. He gives us purpose. He gives us a mission. He promises us treasure in heaven where moths don't corrupt, where thieves do not break through or steal. When God was getting ready to move, ladies and gentlemen, he did so in order to give his people favor. Listen to me. We should pray for God to grant us favor in the eyes of people, not because we care about the applause of men. Favor, not because we want the world to say nice things or think nice things about us. We should pray for favor so that God would be glorified when the world sees us enjoying all of those riches that we have in christ that's the point of the favor and when god gets ready to move he shows favor to his people he gives us unsearchable riches in Christ now something else I want you to see we love to talk about the favor part but there is another side to that coin I need to talk to you about this morning when God is getting ready to move he also does so to bring judgment to the world to bring judgment to this world look at verse 4 then Moses said thus says the Lord and hold that right there for a moment nine times Moses said to Pharaoh in this story Thus says the Lord. Every single time Moses preached to Pharaoh, he said those words, Thus says the Lord, because Moses' opinions did not matter. Because what Moses and Aaron had to say really wasn't all that important. Only what God had to say was important. Thus over and over again, Thus says the Lord. Verse 4, Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. Moses talked about a plague that would be the worst of them all, one that would surpass all of the others. He said, God Himself is going to visit the land. And think about it God sent angels to destroy Sodom. God Himself visited Egypt. God said, I'm going to come at midnight. Why was that significant? Well, for us, the new day begins at midnight, but not so for them. Uh, For them, the uh, the new day begin, begins at sunset because as one day is ending, it is assumed that must mean another day is beginning. No, the significance of midnight is that midnight is when it was thought to be the darkest. Midnight is when it was thought that the people would be most likely to be sleeping. In a sense, God said to them, I'm going to come visit you when you least expect it. And what is this judgment that God's going to bring? God said, All the firstborn in the land shall die. Talked about a cry that would go up. This is not the cry of those who were dying. This was the cry of those who discovered that death had unexpectedly come to their house. Now, a lot of people struggle with this. A lot of people have questions about this. We know that this topic of judgment is not very popular today the fact that God would judge us or that one day we would actually have to stand before God in judgment but God's judgment is real we need to understand it, there are certain things that we need to know about it and I noticed that when we come to this 10th plague there are a number of things about God's judgment that we can learn through it, so I want to kind of quickly share with you just a whole bunch of observations about God's judgment from this one plague also as a way of kind of explaining everything that is going on here. First, I I want to point out to you, God's judgment was suited to their sin. Pharaoh had the Jewish babies thrown into the Nile. What happens? The Egyptian firstborns died. Let me tell you, you cannot, cannot, cannot sacrifice children without there being a payday someday. We would do very well to learn that lesson in our nation today. In verse 6, where it talks about this cry that went up, it's interesting, that word for cry, the cry of the Egyptians, same Hebrew word that God used earlier in the book when he said, I have heard the cry of my people who are oppressed by the Egyptians. So do you see what's happening here? The Hebrews cried. We come to chapter 11, the Egyptians cried. This plague didn't come out of nowhere, folks. It was connected to the sin of Pharaoh and the sin of the people. Somebody once said, God always repays the sinner in his own currency. Let me also remind you that Pharaoh was not the only guilty party. Someone had to carry out his orders. The people had done an evil thing. The people were being judged. We see this judgment was preceded by many warnings. Yes, this judgment was terrible. Yes, it was severe. And yet, those who suffered it had to ignore one warning after another in order to get there. They had to deny the undeniable presence of God in order to get there. They had to ignore the preaching of a man they knew to be a prophet of God in order to get there. God warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them. And we get to chapter 11, and here's Moses. He's still warning Pharaoh, even though he knows it won't do any good. We see that God provided a way of escape. Now, we'll talk more about this next Sunday. But yes, there was a way of escape for anyone who would have been willing to use it, how they could avoid this judgment by sacrificing a lamb By placing the blood of that lamb in the lintel of the doorpost of their home. And we will see, of course, this is a picture of how one day the Lamb of God, Jesus, would be sacrificed for our exodus from sin and judgment. How we are saved uh, through his shed blood applied to our hearts by faith. Let me also remind you that in a broken world, the innocent do routinely suffer. This happens all the time. This is part of living in a world that is under the curse of sin. Let me remind you, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Adam may have made the motion, but we seconded that motion. We also see God's judgment is applied equally. Did you notice God said all of the firstborn in Egypt will die from Pharaoh's son to that woman working at the mill? When the tenth plague came, it didn't matter if you were rich or poor. When the tenth plague came, it didn't matter if you were the king or if you were a servant. If you lived in the palace or if you lived in a shack, God judged them the same. I don't know why, but we have this strange tendency sometimes when a famous person dies or someone we deem to be especially important dies, an athlete, a politician, a singer, an actor, an actress, to think as if something unusual and something extra special must have taken place. I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to go to our nation's capital and stand there underneath that dome. You all know what it looks like from the outside, but how many of you have seen it from the inside? Have you ever stood underneath that dome in our nation's capital and just looked up inside the dome? One of the most beautiful paintings you'll ever see in your life, but do you remember what it is? It's a painting of George Washington as he entered heaven. In other words, here's how heaven responded when George Washington entered in. No. Now, what evidence I've seen tells me he probably was a a Christian, but did he get some extra special reception that nobody else got because he was famous on earth? Absolutely not. God, as we see in the 10th plague, is no respecter of persons. We see in this plague that judgment was necessary in order to deliver God's people. Plagues 1 through 9, and how Pharaoh responded to those plagues proved that it took something as severe as this plague in order for the Hebrews to be set free without even a fight. And we must remember also the words of Abraham before God judged Sodom. Yes, the judge of the earth will do what is right one day. God will judge this world, every nation, every person, and God will settle every account whether by means of the cross or whether by means of hell. But one day when God judges, God will judge in such a way that there will be no question whatsoever that his judgments are just and righteous. Now all of these things were true and all of these are things that we can learn by means of the 10th plague. But, notice verse 7, but against none... Of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you, after that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. The Bible says that, while Egypt was experiencing this last plague that a dog will not move its tongue against Israel. Now some translations say a dog will not bark, a dog will not growl. Well, what does that mean? That means that God's people are not going to be touched by this plague, not in the least. That's what it means. You say, well, why not? Don't miss this. So that you may know, so that Pharaoh may know, so that the world may know that God makes a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. God judged them, and yes, God brings judgment today in part so that it will be evident that there is a difference between the world and the people of God. And there's something here that we need to understand. We need to understand there's no such thing as a movement of God in which God does not deal with sin. As believers, our sin is judged in Christ at the cross. But folks, we cannot cling to our sin and expect God to move in our lives or in our church. And the reason why is because part of the whole point of a movement of God is that he would make a distinction between us and the world, but if we're doing everything the world is doing, if we're living the same way the world is living, what's the difference? That defeats the whole point of a movement of God. And that is why every single movement of God that you will read about in the Bible or in church history, every single movement of God that is happening in the world today and there are many happening all over the world today always preceded by fervent prayer, confession, repentance, and spiritual cleansing. Folks, it's always been that way throughout history. What makes us think it's going to be any different for us today? We need to understand that when God is about to move, he's going to bring judgment, and the purpose of that judgment is so that everyone will see and identify who is and who is not the people of God. Well, One more thing I want you to notice in all of this. When God is about to move, he displays his power. He displays his power. Look at verse 9. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. These final two verses of chapter 10 are kind of like a reflection. A reflection on everything that has happened, on everything that God had said. And there's an interesting statement here, God told him, Pharaoh will not heed you. Why? So that my wonders may be multiplied. I want you to think about what God is saying here. You see, God not only used Pharaoh as a tool in his hand to accomplish his purposes. It gets better than that. I mean, if that alone were true, that's an amazing testimony to the sovereignty of God. But oh, it gets better than that. God actually used Pharaoh's unbelief as a tool in his hand to accomplish his purposes. God used his stubbornness. God did not have to do it this way. God could have said, I don't want anything to do with that Pharaoh. He doesn't want anything to do with me. God could have just raptured them up out of Egypt and dropped them off in the promised land, but God did not do it that way. Yes, he dealt with Pharaoh. He warred against Pharaoh. He used Pharaoh's stubbornness and his unbelief as weapons against him. He brought about all these plagues to disprove all of the gods that they worship, including Pharaoh himself and God did it this way so that everyone would see and know how sovereign God is and how powerful God is. God hasn't changed. He will still take the actions of every tyrant in history and every tyrant in the world today, and hey, let's be honest, there's plenty to choose from, right? God will take the actions of every tyrant and use them against him. He'll use their own efforts, the efforts of those who fight against him in order to display his power and his ability to do the impossible. You know, Exodus chapter 11, in a sense, it is about God taking what was thought to be an absolute impossibility and turning it into reality. God loves to turn impossibilities into realities. He does it over and over again. He's still doing it in the world today. So let me just close by asking you some questions this morning. What impossibilities are we asking God to turn into realities? What is it that we're asking God to do? Pleading with God to do? That if he were to do it, nobody would even think to give us credit. No one would even think to give us glory, because his power would be put on display. What is it that we're asking God to do that only God can do? What plans are we making? What prayers are we praying? that would absolutely require divine intervention in order for it to happen. Because, folks, whether or not God does it, that's what we ought to be praying for and pleading for and asking for day after day after day after day. God loves to do what only He can do so that only God gets the glory. 2,000 years ago, God moved, the Word became flesh. Jesus came from heaven to earth He was born of a virgin and God moved as he had never moved before. Jesus lived the life, that perfect life that we could never live and then after a perfect life, he went to the cross, died on the cross, paid the penalty that we could never pay was buried, rose again on the third day, and when he rose from that grave, he won the victory that we could never win. And in all of these things, listen, the empty tomb proves the power of God. It is the ultimate display of the power of God. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God into salvation. That Jesus has the power today to save whosoever will call upon Him as Savior and Lord. I plead with you today, if you haven't, to come to Christ and see God display His power in your life. Join me as we pray right now. Heavenly Father, we come before You thanking You for the many ways many times in the many places where you have moved. And we know that many of us here in this room this morning could spend many hours talking about our testimonies, how you have moved in our lives, times you did what only you could do. But God, we look at our society around us. We look at where we are. We look at our own church. We need a fresh new movement of God. God, we need you to do what only you can do. We need you to display your power. And so we come before you knowing, Lord, that it involves prayer, it involves confession, it involves repentance, asking you, God, to show us anything required of us that such a movement of God would take place, that we would be ready and willing, like clay in the potter's hands, to move however you would move us, to take whatever shape you would give us, to do whatever you tell us, to go wherever you send us. God, I can't help but think there there's some folks here today or some folks who right now are with us online listening to this message who perhaps need to experience a movement of God. They're spiritually dead right now. They're separated from you by their sin. And if that breath that they took just now were their last breath they'd spend eternity separated from you but God we thank you that the power of God unto salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came that he died on the cross that he rose again and whosoever shall call upon him as Lord shall be saved God I pray for that man or that woman that young person that boy or that girl who in this moment needs to come to that place of surrender and say Jesus be lord of my life I surrender to you now I trust you I believe in you you died and you rose again now save me God I pray that for someone right now that would be their prayer the cry of their heart and we cling to that promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved Father maybe there are some people here today who need a fresh movement of God in their lives. We need you to fill them with the Holy Spirit once again. And so we lift them up to you as well and pray that you would do a fresh new work. But maybe there's some who are discouraged and they need to be reminded of your promises so that they can trust in them and believe in them. Maybe there's some who have been on the outskirts, they haven't been in the center of your will for their lives, and you're calling them to come back to that place of blessing and richness in Christ. Father, we pray that you'd call them and bring them back today. Father, whatever it is you're calling us to do this morning, God, speak to us, speak to us each individually, clearly through that still small voice that we would respond to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.